At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Good afternoon, everyone. We are in Exodus 19. As you go there, as you know, we are in the middle of our Christmas campaign, and uh, you've heard me in the last couple of weeks mention uh, a number of the buildings for Romeo, the Algonac churches that are trying to secure better facilities. And uh, while we might be like, well, I'll never go to those places, we are one church family, and let's remember that when we were moving into this building, uh, the whole of Woodside helped us so that we moved in here without a mortgage note. Uh, but also at the level here of Royal Oak, uh, as I mentioned before, we're trying to, our aim is to grow into our budget, right? Because some weeks we make budget, some weeks we don't. So we're not f- quite there yet. Uh, and so we need to grow into it, not by new people joining the church, as I said. Uh, we have the people that we need to be able to make our budget, but rather by those who are in the church to give. Uh, a number of you don't give, and so uh, my prayer is that you will begin giving, not just this December, but into next year. Uh, and then there, there are some that uh, give, but not in proportion to how much God has blessed you. And so just join me in those prayers. I would, uh, I would also just put before you that as we know, this pandemic has been hard on um, service industries, restaurants, and so forth. And so if you would, if God puts it on your heart, you know, there's maybe an establishment, you know, waiters, servers that you had relationship with that you used to frequent, uh, bless them. You know, we're trying to uh, do that uh, as well as a church family. Also, I wanted to um, just bring before you that starting January 3rd, we're asking all of our groups to walk through this book. It's called Placed for a Purpose. Uh, the book is about helping us have a vision for reaching and loving our next door neighbors. It's a very thin book, as you can see. Okay, so don't be afraid. And uh, we were selling them for $5. We have a discount, $5 outside. So you can get that even today. If you have $5 or a check, you can also get it online. But, um, but we're just going to walk through this in conjunction with our preaching series that begins January 1st in the first letter of John. Uh, and it's going to be about love. And so, um, so I commend that to you. And then finally, January 3rd, we're going to begin making our 9 a.m. service mask required for the duration of the service. Uh, we asked a number of you, we polled the church last week, and we just believe that this is going to help a number of families who have not felt safe to return to come back. Now, I'm saying that to you because, um, well, because I need you to stay in this service if you're able, um, because we, we need to make sure that 9 a.m. and 10.30 do not get overcrowded. And so since you're here, just stay here. Things are good that way. But, uh, but that, because that's one of the things that we have to consider is, is any of the services going to get overcrowded in us doing this? And we believe that it will not, but also we're seeing that, especially 1030 is the one that has that trouble. A number of them at 1030 were willing to uh, attend another service. If we bring that back to the church and say, hey, we're needing it to tweak this just a tad. But I'm very excited about that. That begins January 3rd. That'll be mass required for the duration of the service, just at the nine o'clock service uh, for children five and older in the kids ministry for K through fifth grade also. We will have that requirement. Okay, Exodus 19. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our heavenly father, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, how wonderful it's been to sing. And in the darkness shines an everlasting light. Father, we ask you to flood our hearts with your love by your spirit. Remind us of how secure we stand in the grace of Jesus Christ, having no condemnation before you, but access, confidence, your peace, your joy. Lord, would you right now allow us to commune with you by means of your word. Make us able to receive spiritual things by the spirit of God. Remove all distractions, internal or external. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The word of the Lord. We continue our series, Gift Wrapped, from Longing to Lavished. The greatest gift that God has given the world is Jesus Christ. And this gift comes to us wrapped in scripture and the history of God's dealings with humankind, full of mystery. And it is our job to unwrap it, to understand the, the mystery, to see how all the pieces of scripture fit together with Christ at the center. One of the ways that we are deepening our appreciation for this gift is by looking at the covenants that God has made with humankind. So we're looking at the covenants God made with Noah and with Abraham, with Israel, with David, and finally the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Today, we're getting into God's covenant with Israel. One of my main jobs as your pastor is to teach you to read the Bible. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, a living word, a word by which God speaks to us and is present with us and transforms us. And there are all kinds of reasons why we come to scripture. We come to scripture to find answers to specific questions. For example, say that someone is wondering, I need to confront someone who's deeply hurt me. They're clearly in the wrong and I'm angry. How should I confront them? Well, Ephesians 4.29 gives them a great answer. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to all who hear. That's really helpful. We come to scripture to learn right from wrong. People read the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or Paul's letters or the book of Proverbs to, to learn our morality and ethics. We come to scripture for comfort. I've gone so often to the Psalms for comfort. I've gone to the Gospel of John to hear those long, soothing words of Jesus. We come to Scripture for strength. I mean, who doesn't need courage and find it as we read about God's mighty hand 
pulling Israel out of Egypt. As we read about David's one stone that sank into Goliath's forehead. As we read about Paul's brushes with death because of the cause of Christ. As we read about the apocalypse's description of the end. We need strength and we find it in scripture. We also come to scripture to interpret and critique our culture. For example, our culture tells us that marriage is a union between any two consenting adults. A man and a woman, a man and a man, a woman and a woman. But we find in scripture that God has only designed and blessed marriage as a union between a man and a woman for life. So these are all different reasons that we come to scripture and they're all important and we practice them in one way or another each week here, week after week. There is one another reason we come to scripture and I believe it's the most important one, not to the exclusion of all the others, but often neglected. And it's that we come to scripture to learn who God is. Now that might seem obvious, Kind of like, duh. But you'd be surprised how often we come to Scripture for immediate personal concerns. We come to Scripture with me-centered glasses. In fact, it's one of the reasons that people so often have a hard time connecting with the Bible. Because not every page of the Bible obviously addresses your state of mind. When I read in Exodus... Do not boil a goat in its mother's milk. I don't walk away and say, man, that's just what I needed to read today. (laughs) See, we tend to be a superficial race. And so we ask, what's in it for me? And if the answer is not obvious to us within seconds, and I mean seconds, we move on. But see, every page of scripture is about God, patently about God. And so everything changes when our main and first question when we approach the Bible is, I want to know God. I want to know how he's revealed himself in history and in scripture, how he's dealt with the poor, how he deals with unfairness, the things that matter to him. I want to understand his logic, the things that bring out his wrath and judgment, his purposes for everything that he's created. I'm sick of Netflix, but I want to know God. We can only do this when we take off our me-centered glasses and put on God-centered glasses. And we can only do that through the help of God's Spirit. Now, I'm saying all of this because the study that we're in the middle of about God's covenants with humankind is one such exercise in learning who God is. And so today we get into God's covenant with Israel Perhaps the most misunderstood of the covenants. So we're going to use Exodus 19 as our jumping off point, And then the points in your outline as brief application at the end. So read with me verse 1 of chapter 19 one more time. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day... They came into the wilderness of Sinai. Let's remember what's happened 
up until this point in the biblical narrative. God created the heavens and the earth, including humankind. Adam and Eve, though, chose rebellion. They chose autonomy. They wanted to live apart from God, but rather what they encountered was judgment and death to themselves and to the whole race. Graciously, God gave them offspring, but as their offspring increased, so did their wickedness. And so when evil in humanity had reached a certain point, God brought judgment on the earth by means of a flood. But following the flood, he made a covenant with Noah. We looked at this two weeks ago, by which he promised that never again would he destroy life or the earth by means of a flood. Well, humanity did not get better after the covenant with Noah. God promised to preserve life. And the sign of the covenant with Noah was the rainbow. Now go to Exodus chapter 2. Humanity remained just as wicked following the flood. God had told Noah to multiply and fill the earth. But when we get to Genesis 11, we see that Noah's descendants actually stayed together and decided to create a name for themselves. So God comes down, confuses their language, and forces them to disperse. And it's following that episode that God comes and chooses Abraham, makes a covenant with Abraham. We looked at this last week and promises that through him and through the nation that will come through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God appeared to Abraham and then to his son Isaac and then to his son Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and they went into Egypt. 70 of them go into Egypt and in Egypt, in the span of 400 years, they become a nation by size, but they don't have a land or a national identity. They are slaves. 400 years go by, and then God appears to Moses. But before we look at God's appearance to Moses, let's look at why God appears to Moses. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God, listen to this, remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. It was the covenant. It was the covenant with Abraham that prompted God to move to bring Israel out of Egypt. Now look at chapter 6 in Exodus. So God comes to Moses in the burning bush. They talk. They have a series of conversations in chapter 6. Here's what it says, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So 400 years have gone by from the time of Abraham. Abraham, this childless moon worshiper, has become a numerous people, but they are enslaved by a ruthless master and they do not have a land. And because God established his covenant with Abraham, He determines to deliver Israel and to give them the land. And so between chapter 7 and 14 in Exodus, we have this awesome display of the power of God in the 10 plagues as God defeats the pride of Egypt's Pharaoh. Water turns to blood. Pharaoh could care less. Frogs cover the land. Pharaoh is mildly annoyed. Gnats cover man and beast. 
Pharaoh's heart gets harder and he refuses to listen to God and let Israel go. Flies swarm the land. Pharaoh seems to give in, except he did not. The Egyptian livestock dies, but Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go. God sends boils, then hail, then locusts, then darkness, a darkness that could be felt, Scripture says. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and he will not let the people go until we get to the last plague, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the slave girl to the firstborn of the cattle. The Lord says, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But all the firstborns of Israel are spared by the blood of a lamb that was smeared on the doorframe of their homes. And so finally, with his firstborn dead and his country decimated, Pharaoh says to Moses, go, you and all your people. And as if these displays of the power of God had not been enough after Israel leaves Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and begins to chase after them. This is insane. Have you ever done anything insane? He starts chasing after them with all of his chariots so that God causes the sea to part and split open. These great walls of water form on either side of them and the children of Israel walk through as on dry ground. And on the other side of this deliverance, with the Egyptians and their horses drowned behind them, Moses leads Israel in chapter 15 in this amazing song where they celebrate and sing, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Could you imagine that song, just hearing it? It puts us to shame when we sing. Side comment. Let's not ever come and sing after the deliverance we have seen in Christ. And let Israel put us to shame. Because we have seen infinite amounts of greatest deliverance from God. It's why we sing. It's not just to warm up. Singing is not the warm-up act to the sermon. We're in the presence of God singing, I will exalt your name. Close comment. With these mighty acts of deliverance, after 400 years of oppression and great shouts of jubilee, we come to Exodus 19, which is just three months after Israel left Egypt. And from chapters 19 to 24, we have the making of God's covenant with Israel at Sinai. So read with me chapter 19 one more time. Verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, 
and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The Lord says to Moses, say to the house of Jacob, to the people of Israel. The house of Jacob is meant to remind them that they used to be just a house, a clan, one family. Now they've become a nation. And he says to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We need to pause here to reflect because it's upon these acts of God that the covenant is entered into. The 10 plagues were had the goal of magnifying the power of God, ingraining in the collective memory of Israel his mighty acts so that for generations they would know that God is a warrior. From generation to generation, they would remind each other and their children, God fought for us because Israel, you see, would find itself once again in a vulnerable place, seeking power from many different sources. And so God comes to them again and again and says to them through the prophets, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight no one knew God like this. And so God says to them, I bore you on eagle's wings. Don't you love that metaphor? Moses uses it again toward the end of his life in Deuteronomy 32. He says, God found Jacob in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Listen, we need to learn who God is. Because it is rooted in the human heart and in the Western psyche that we can save ourselves. And yet haven't we seen that even our medical technology and our protocols and doing everything we're supposed to, that we can't save ourselves from this invisible virus? Our strength can't save us. Our wisdom can't save us. Yes, we need to be wise, but oh, the line is so thin between wisdom and trust. Wisdom and worship, wisdom and self-preservation. This applies to many areas of life. Whatever your enemy is, barrenness, or being jobless, or being without someone to share life and share love with, or seeing yourself as unattractive, or feeling stuck in your marriage, or lust, or the frightening aspects of aging. Whatever your enemy is, 
God will bear you on eagles' wings. Where is your trust? Where is your worship? What is your boast? You see, God says to Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, what he's saying to them is, I fought for you. I delivered you. I carried you on eagles' wings. I showed you my power. I showed you that I'm trustworthy. Obey me. Keep my covenant. They already are God's people. This is very important. They already are God's people. He's already taking them out of Egypt. Now, they must learn to become a holy nation. A holy nation set aside for the Lord, cleansed morally and spiritually. And so, he gives them his law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all the instruction that they need to become a nation under the kingship of God. And so after God gives them the words they are to keep, Moses writes them down and he builds an altar at the foot of the mountain. And then they offer animal sacrifices and Moses takes some of the blood and he throws it against the altar and some of the blood and he throws it against the people. And then in Exodus 24 verse eight, he says, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. The blood of the covenant. God graciously made Israel his people, but for them to enjoy the benefits of the covenant, to live in the land and to have God as their God, they needed to obey his voice and keep the covenant. They did not. They became covenant breakers. They incurred upon themselves the curses of the covenant for their violence and law-breaking and false worship. They were sent into exile, away from the land, away from the presence of God. How tragic. Think about this. They alone possessed God's words. All the other nations lived in lawlessness. God revealed his will through the law so that all of them would have God's ways and they would all have access to God. This, is, this goes beyond the covenant with Abraham because in that instance, only a few individuals had access to God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. But now they have the law written on stone so that they can all have access to God, to his character, to his thoughts, to his presence and power and purposes. No other nation had this. No other nation was so blessed as to have the word of God. All the nations walked in utter darkness. And yet the covenant through Moses showed the weakness of the law. Because the externalized law coming at them from the outside failed to transform their hearts. And sin seized upon it and increased greed. Paul tells us about this in Romans And so the people latched onto the law and rather than let the law lead them into humility because of their inability to keep it. God had made provision for this. Rather than let it humble them because they failed to reflect the heart of God, the people became filled with nationalistic pride. But the law is not greater than the covenant and Israel's failure is not greater than God's grace. 
So even though Israel failed to keep the law, God had already bound himself by covenant. Remember, a covenant is a solemn oath to undertake an obligation. God is bound to his people by covenant. And while Israel will face the consequences of their unfaithfulness, God will not rescind the covenant. Instead, he sent his son born under the law to redeem those under the law. This is Christmas, you guys. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Yes, think about that baby born in the manger, but even more than that, think about that baby born under the law as the offspring of Israel. The blessing of the covenant comes through Israel to all the families of the earth. And so Jesus comes as that faithful Israelite who succeeded at every point where Israel failed. Which is why Jesus says, we read in the Gospel of Matthew, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's the faithful Israelite who never boasted in riches, wisdom, or might, but his only boast always was the Lord. And by his death, he took upon himself the curses of the covenant that should have come on all covenant breakers. I mean, just think about the weight of the law. Infraction after infraction for over a millennium. Now falling on Christ. And because of his death, because he was faithful to his messianic task, he's gone back to the Father And now sent the Holy Spirit upon God's people. And it's that Holy Spirit, listen to me, it's that Holy Spirit living within us that now writes the law of God in our hearts. It's not written in stone any longer. We are not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Do you see how amazing this is? Oh, my goodness. The law of God is now within us. It's not just coming to us from the outside. There is nothing else like this where the law of God and human hearts match. Do you understand? Within your heart, it's written. And so you love God from within. You care about him. You want to follow him. You hate sin. You can die to sin and kill it. There's not this conflict consistently because from within, your heart has been transformed. You cannot find this in any other religions of the world and not even in the Mosaic Covenant. Which is why when Jesus starts his ministry, Matthew quotes Isaiah and says, the people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great Light In the coming of Jesus, God saves us out of darkness into marvelous light. And so let's finish with three points of application. God saves his people to treasure them. God said to Israel at Sinai, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. That's a big if. If you obey my voice, And keep my covenant, we know the history, they did not. But here's the thing, you and I, 
do not obey God's voice or keep his covenant. We are covenant breakers, which is why on the night of his arrest, Jesus takes the cup and says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's now in his blood. What he's saying to us is, you did not keep the covenant, but I did. And so the curse that should have fallen on you has fallen on me. I've taken it for you and I'm guaranteeing the life of everyone who comes to me by faith and enters into covenant with me by my blood. The net effect for you and I is that between now and eternity, we are God's. He fights for us. He carries us on eagle's wings. We are his treasured possession because Jesus kept the covenant. You see that? That's a big if. We could not do that if. But Christ did it for us. And so we are God's treasured possession. Number two, God equips his people to minister. God said to Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Now remember that God's purpose was to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham and his offspring. And so as priests, we represent God to the world. So many people are far from God. They're in utter darkness. They've never experienced the great light that the prophets spoke about. They don't know their way back to God. And so it's our God-given role and mission to point them to the light, to point them to the God who alone can bear them on eagles' wings. Who are you sharing this light of Christ with this Christmas? Who is God sending you to? Maybe you should write a letter to a friend, to a family member, someone who's had a hard, hard year but has no idea how to make sense of it all. The gift of Christ is for all the families of the earth. So don't let our cultural cynicism silence you. And finally, God knits his people into a holy community. God says to Israel, and you shall be to me a holy nation. Amazing. From childless Abraham, who becomes a family, who becomes a nation. God is after a people. You see, the overarching promise that stands over all the different covenants that God makes with humanity is and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's what God's after. He's after a people. He's after, after us, a people who know him and love him and love one another. This is who God is, a God who bled to death to claim his bride. And so my prayer is that in this year, 2020, that's been so isolating, that your love for God's people would be growing stronger than ever. I pray that not one of you would go the way of the world where your love grows cold and your faith turns to dust. Where is your faith? Is it more vibrant, stronger now than it was a year ago? Is it? Are you closer to God? Because God hasn't changed at all this year. He's just as true and powerful and gracious and near. Where's your faith? I pray that your love would not grow cold and your faith would not turn to dust. And I pray that 
We would not be waiting for a vaccine or for things to return to normal before we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ to find out how they're doing and love upon them and proclaim without hesitation, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. In the darkness shines an everlasting light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you thanks for your word, God. We give you thanks for the covenant that you made with Noah and with Abraham, with Israel, all of which pointed to the perfect new covenant in Christ. Father, as we come here and we humble ourselves before your word, we ask you, to make us aware of our inability to keep your law, our inability to reflect your heart, O oh God, to the nations. But we also come and we trust, Father, that your son who came born under the law, Father, we just think about him this little seven, eight pound baby in a bundle and yet the weight of the law and every infraction and every curse for over a millennium and then all the sin since Adam falling on him, born in a manger, born under the law to redeem us all under the curse of the law. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying, for being faithful to your task as faithful Israel. Thank you for ascending to the Father and sending us the Spirit by whom the law of God is written within our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that there's agreement now from within that we don't just follow you against our wills. That we're being cleansed, being made holy by the Spirit of God. So that there's alignment between you your holiness, your character, and what we desire and who we're becoming. We love you. We trust you. We worship you, Lord Jesus, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.